Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. State lawmakers have left Lansing now for the summer of 2017. Perhaps their biggest accomplishment so far is passing a balanced budget before the summer recess for the seventh year in a row. But those budget talks were in some serious jeopardy because of disagreements among Republicans about overhauling teacher retirement. And that was not the only issue that fiercely divided the chambers this session. Divisions have also derailed two tax-related measures after a night of political intrigue earlier this year that would have made TV show writers jealous. Most recently, House GOP leaders indefinitely stalled a package of bills that would give tax breaks to a handful of businesses moving to Michigan. That's after they found out Governor Snyder negotiated a deal with Democrats without them knowing. This is the kind of chaos that we used to not see a whole lot in Lansing. So what's causing such divisions among people of the same party in a state where they control every aspect of state government. We want to spend the hour today talking about what goes on in Lansing today and what used to go on in Lansing. Uh, Republicans have had control of the state capitol for a long time now, able to do almost anything they want. For a while, that worked out pretty well when Governor Snyder was new at his job and had control of both chambers. Think of the things that we were able to tick off major, major legislation that was able to get done. Nowadays, it seems like those things are definitely in the past and maybe not in our future. So we want to start the conversation today with two people who know a lot about how Lansing works. Jace Bolger is the former Republican State House Speaker, and Clint Kesto is a Republican State Representative from Clint from Commerce Township uh, in his last term in the legislature. Clint and Jace, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Good morning, Stephen. Stephen. Yeah. Good morning, Representative. Good morning, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, so, Jace, I want to start with you. Um, uh, when you were Speaker, uh, it seemed like it was a lot easier to get major legislation done. And major legislation, often, that was not a slam dunk. Things that were hard, perhaps, to sell to one constituency or another, one part of the state or another. Uh, talk about how you were able to move things in the chamber early on during uh, during Governor Snyder's uh, first term and what you see as the difference between then and now. Well, I think some of the uh, the view of the ease might be, uh, you know, the revi- looking back at history. You know, things always get a little bit easier as you look back at history. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't easy at the time. Sure. There's always multiple ways to get there, and there were different paths that were taken for different issues. You know, in the first six months, we passed the budget, and we uh, reformed the tax code. But if you look at things like um, bipartisan deals to, uh, exp- to reform and expand Medicaid mm-hmm. and to uh, participate and settle Detroit's bankruptcy, mm-hmm. those were given take among both parties. Uh, as you look at things like uh, right to work, certainly that was uh, delivered by one party, but it was right after that in 2012 that we uh, delivered reform that would allow for M1 and uh, what is now Little Caesars Arena. And uh, ironically, those were done over Democrat objections because we had just passed right to work. So 
there are different paths to get there. I think part of the, the issue that you see today is that the governor has changed positions. Um, if you look, it wasn't that long ago, in fact, it was while I was serving, that the governor called these tax breaks, these tax incentives for special corporations, the heroin drip of government. Um, you, there's a long history of these producing big headlines up front, uh, yielding little results on the back end. So I think it's difficult to change course when you've, you've got a position or when uh, your, your political outlook, your um, policy outlook is a different position than the one you're being asked to take today. So this is a, a different situation uh, because it's a change, of course, but it's also, uh, it, I understand the frustration, the concern over what kind of side deals might have been cut, and we can talk about that as well. Well, when you were Speaker, how did you, how did you bridge those gaps? Let's talk about something like the Medicaid expansion. That was not particularly popular among some uh, Republican members of the state legislature at the time. Democrats were more in, in favor of it. How were you able to, to figure out that path forward? And, and I think uh, you make a great point that these things weren't ever easy. It's just that they were doable, right? They were accomplishable. Whereas now it seems like uh, it's very hard to imagine how something like that would happen. Well, as you look at Medicaid, um, again, if you go back and look, there were strong disagreements when that began. Uh, the House uh, proposed a, a reform package that Democrats really viscerally rejected right, uh, right out of the gate. And Republicans uh, did not want to participate in anything that would expand Medicaid. And we were in a, a very difficult position. I'll tell you that was one of the most difficult issues that I felt I dealt with uh, in the legislature because I didn't philosophically agree with making people more dependent on government and worried that would this action do that. But we were left with the uh, what was happening at the federal level, and that was having a direct impact on Michigan citizens and would their taxes be shipped out of state. So we wrestled with all of those things. And again, when you go back and you look, the House proposal, when it was originally uh, announced, uh, was really rejected by the Democrats. So we went to work, and uh, that work uh, yielded uh, most of those same reforms that were discussed that first day that were initially rejected. It yielded, or it got there by a lot of conversation. It got there by a lot of conversation uh, in the legislature, in the Republican caucus, looking at while well, they reflexively uh, rejected or opposed the proposal that would expand that coverage. Uh, they understood eventually, many did, not everybody agreed, but many started to understand that we were left with that situation where the federal government was uh, was making uh, putting us between a rock and a hard place. There were no easy decisions, and it wasn't clear what was going to be best for Michigan citizens. So it was a combination of working within our own caucus, understanding uh, what the lay of the land was that we were dealing with in the federal government, and working with uh, our colleagues across the aisle who saw the world very differently as well. So it, it ended up the final outcome was that the Democrats were certainly very interested in the expanded coverage and having more people have access to Medicaid. And ultimately, Republicans were very interested in several of the reforms that helped empower individuals. And uh, th those combined uh, yielded ultimately enough votes for passage. Yeah. Uh, Clint Kesto, uh, listening to Jace Bolger describe that process, talk about how different things are now. It does seem as though there is more dissension in the ranks among Republicans in the state legislature. It seems like there is more dissension between 
the Republican majorities in the House and Senate then, and the governor, who's also, uh, at least nominally, a member of the, the Republican Party. What's the difference between then and now? Well, you know, Stephen, things aren't always as they seem. <laughs> as we just talked about uh, when, when Jace was speaker, all those issues, they were not easy to get to the finish line. It was just a matter of uh, talking and discussing and getting to the point where people feel comfortable uh, supporting supporting a certain initiative. And, and I don't think it's much different, actually. Things are still difficult, and it's a matter of continuing discussions. Uh, I think uh, there have been... A, you know, people have different personalities going from Randy Richardville in the Senate to, to Arlen Mikoff, mm-hmm. going from Jace Bolger to then Kevin Cotter to now uh, uh, Tom Leonard. Uh, those things are constantly changing, but the governor is still there. And just as Jace just said, you know, sometimes the certain initiatives change. And as we see a change in um, even on the national level from President Obama to President Trump, there are things affecting us on a state level. And and when states are doing uh, different incentives, it changes our state of Michigan to also adapt. So as, as this continues to change, I think uh, what it is is the what is Michigan going to do? How are we going to get certain initiatives that make Michigan a more competitive place that continue to create job growth, that makes Michigan a more friendly place to live with your family? Those dynamics change with the personalities. Sure. Sure. And I don't think it's much difficult. With term limits, people are coming in new. They don't understand uh, some of the history. Yeah. I'm in my third term, so I was there with Jace uh, when we were talking about Medicaid expansion and the rest. So there's still an educational aspect. There's still an aspect of direction. Because if you think about it, we've really only been there, you know, February, March, April, May, about four months, just a little over four months. Yeah worth of, of legislative history for a lot of the people that came in in their first term. They're new, that's right. They're brand new. And they have to understand, okay, well, the governor said this in his first term to get Michigan on the right track from the lost decade, and now how do we continue to make Michigan great? And one of the, the things is this, this tax incentive, this good jobs plan. And frankly, um, there also may be some, some items lost in translation. The governor is in is in Paris or in France trying to recruit businesses to come to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there are people from the governor's staff having discussions with, with the House leadership uh, and, and the Republican and Democrat side to, to broker a deal. So, um, you know, I'd like to see when the governor comes back how we move forward with this issue. I think it'll continue, we'll continue dialogue. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, I think what the main focus is, and it was the same when, when Jace was the speaker, to Kevin, and, and now to Tom Leonard, is that we need to make Michigan a competitive place where people are coming here. And it isn't just a, a straight a straight line without any outside influences. We have influences from the admi- sure. the federal administration. We have influences from other states that are, that are pulling us to do other things and be more competitive like the Good Jobs for Michigan package. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Jace Bolger, former Republican State House Speaker, and Clint Kesto, Republican State Representative from Commerce Township. We are talking all hour today about Lansing. Is it really hard or harder to get things done in Lansing today than it was just a few years ago. Is there a sort of air of dysfunction in Lansing right now in the way that the legislature works with the governor, the way the parts sort of 
come together over major legislation, or is this just uh, the way politics works? Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. What do you think is going on in Lansing right now? Do you think the the chambers uh, in the legislature are less effective at getting major things done now than they were uh, in the early part of Governor Rick Snyder's term, uh, compare this to the time when Jennifer Granholm was governor and uh, she had to deal sometimes with a split legislature, a Democrat in charge of one chamber, a Republican in charge of another. Are we in a better place today? Are we an easier place today or is it tougher? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Um, uh, I want to start with a quote from Facebook here. Ron on Facebook says, the GOP has become the party of obstruction. They will even obstruct themselves. Uh, Jace, I've just now invoked that that phrase, dysfunction. Uh, Dysfunction in Lansing is the way we even titled this this segment. Um, Is part of that dysfunction about a party that that can't get its own members together to do the things that they want to do? And again, how's that different now than when you were in charge? I would wholesale reject that uh, term dysfunction from this current legislature and look back at the the past. You wouldn't have to look very far in the free press archives to note uh, opinion editorials that were really opposing stances I was taking and just pick the Detroit bankruptcy as a part of that, so that I was very clear from the beginning in private negotiations, though it took a while for my um, request to become public, that the unions participate in the settlement. And uh, there were obstruction charges, there was dysfunction claims uh, when I was holding firm on my belief that everybody who participated in what ultimately created Detroit's bankruptcy needed to be at the table participating in what was resolving Detroit's bankruptcy. And so uh, that was a difficult uh, package to get passed. Ultimately, though, it was passed in an overwhelmingly bipartisan fashion. Once again, it, it took a while to get there. It took a lot of disagreement to get there. But I think what we have to understand is that disagreement is healthy. That give and take is good. And we shouldn't automatically jump to words like dysfunction. We shouldn't use violent rhetoric. We saw what happened in Washington, D.C. recently, and we're all, we should all ask ourselves in our conscience, are we participating in our collective public functions in a way that leads to constructive solutions? And, and so, again, I, I go back and say it's okay if it's hard. It's well, okay if there's disagreement. Well, let me so, ask, the question, let me ask the question another way. Yeah. If you were still the Speaker of the House, how would things be different? In your I, can't, I can't do that because I'm not there. Things are different. Uh, they, and they have access. Representative Kesto has access to much more information than I do. I, I read the newspapers, but he knows what actually goes on. But I see what happened in this case. And from just from reading the newspapers, you have, first, let's not miss the fact that they've delivered a seventh budget in a row. When you, you mentioned Granholm earlier, yeah. and we, don't have, we only have to go back that far to remember two different government shutdowns because by October, the budget hadn't, we hadn't been gotten done. It done, right? Right. Yeah. So 
the seventh in a row is no small task and, and difficult budget decisions along the way. Uh, but you look then at uh, rumors, and, and Representative Kesto mentioned lost in translation. Whatever it was, there was a belief that that night that a side deal had been cut. Now, if the city of Detroit were negotiating with the state of Michigan and the state of Michigan had delivered something that was going to bring the Pistons downtown, but meanwhile cut a side deal that was going to have the Detroit Lions leave for another community in the state, the city of Detroit would be very upset about that. That seems to be analogous to what happened, that there was belief, concern, question, if there was a side deal that was cut that would be contrary to the goals of that caucus, and so they were right to push pause. Um, it was clear that there was not a tie between the school retirement system and this good jobs package. I mean, everybody said that publicly repeatedly. So it all comes down to what other side deals may or may not have been cut for passage of this package, which many in the caucus didn't like. And then what would that do? What would the impact be on other goals that they had? And, and I think trading the Pistons for the Lions would be a very real example, a very appropriate analogy to what they faced that night. And so they, they said, let's pause. Let's understand what was really said or done, and then we'll continue to look at it. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the phones. Patrick in Royal Oak. Welcome to Detroit Today, Patrick. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, go ahead. Um, my, my question has to do with you know uh, the Michigan legislature being ranked as one of the most corrupt, one of the least transparent. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have to respond to FOIA requests. Um, just in my mind, what I view is kind of a breakdown of democracy because, seriously, what, maybe 10%? of people actually know who their Michigan representatives are. So how can we expect any sort of accountability when, one, we're not getting the full story up front, two, national parties are pumping way too much money and, quote-unquote, support into these local races. How are we supposed to actually hold you accountable and and interact with democracy when, when people are more concerned about the president and the governor? And honestly, their vote for state house, state senate, I don't want to say it's a throwaway vote, but it's something that often seems to be made on the fly without a whole lot of research. And if they try to do the research, well, there's a lack of transparency for us to even really see what's going on most of the time. Yeah, Patrick, uh, great question. Thanks for the for the call. I think what Patrick's referring to there is a 2015 report by the Center for Public Integrity, a corruptibility report card. Uh, Michigan received a failing grade and the lowest overall score uh, which measured each state on 250 specific indicators related to ethics, enforcement, lobbying, disclosure, political financing, legislative accountability, and more. Clint Kesto, uh, how do you how do you answer that? How how transparent is our government? Should it be more transparent? Well, that that report came out 2015, yes. and a good friend of mine from the Upper Peninsula, his name is Ed McBroom. He spearheaded a package for more transparency last yes. term, mm-hmm. and we voted those uh, out of the House, and I think there was even some more work this term as far as transparency and FOIA. So we expanded FOIA. We continued to, to, to be more transparent, and like I said, you know, as legis- individuals change in the legislature because of term limits, these issues uh, recycle themselves and come back up with the new members. Uh, But I could tell you this, at least when I was in the House, uh, I supported more transparency. In fact, I have a a bill right now uh, to to protect FOIA requests from government entities then suing the person who's requesting a FOIA, and that's right now in the Senate. And hopefully that the Senate moves on that. But uh, to answer the question, uh, that report did come out. Uh, I was just started my second term when it came out, and we took action immediately uh, to get to get 
uh, more transparency. We'll try to get some more. We're still we still have a ways to go there. We need to make sure that both the governor's office and the legislature are are totally accountable and and transparent. Um, uh, there's there's some still a couple couple pieces of that to, to go. Uh, let's go uh, back to the phones here. Uh, Robert in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering why, you know, GOP always uh, tells about being, um, you know, wanting states, states' rights and doing things locally, and yet all the legislation seems to be coming from national group lobbyists um, that support large corporations instead of small businesses. And how come we don't come up with original ideas that are locally inspired? Yeah, uh, good question, Robert. Thanks for the call. Jace Bolger, talk about the influence of lobbyists. Talk about the influence of interest groups uh, that, that that essentially write legislation and shop it around state to state. We've seen some of that here in the state of Michigan. Uh, is that is that the right way to be doing things? Uh, I, uh, lobbyists or special interest group represent individuals in the state. And so somebody in the state is uh, pushing a particular issue, and that's how it gets raised. Uh, they advocate for those positions. So I always looked at it as though it were a courtroom where you've got lobbyists on both sides of every issue. So it's quite often a misnomer. People think a lobbyist or uh, interest group pushes one particular issue. But again, they're taking one side for every issue. There's somebody else on the other side. So there's a lobbyist losing or just about every special interest who doesn't get their way in just about every debate that happens. Well, and I, mean, I think so some, I, of the, I think, some of the complaint there is that, uh, you know, it's money that determines whose voice gets heard too often. How do you answer that? I don't think that? that's the case. I really don't. You look at uh, campaigns, and it is not uh, unusual for somebody to be grossly outspent and yet win an election. So... Uh, I, I don't think a lot of attention gets paid to that. Uh, there's a lot of frustration, frankly, by elected officials with the amount of money that goes into campaigns and goes into politics. But it doesn't ultimately need to determine, and in many cases, it doesn't. But again, I, I go back, it's like a courtroom where you've got a prosecutor and a defense attorney that make their case, and the legislature has to make a decision based on all of the input they get. And so it is not as one-sided as it might appear from the outside. Okay, Jace Bolger, former Republican State House Speaker, Clint Kesto, Republican State Representative from Commerce Township. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Good and to be with you, gentlemen. Clint Kesto, we need to get you back in the studio to talk about what is going on in the Chaldean community with immigration. Uh, we will do that soon. All right, up next, we're going to hear from political reporters in Lansing about Republican infighting at the state capitol. Rick Pluta of the Michigan Public Radio Network and Zach Gorcho of Gongor News Service will join us next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are talking this hour about Lansing, the way things get done in our in our state capital, and the way things maybe don't get done in our state capital. Just a few years ago, it was possible to do some pretty difficult 
legislative things uh, in the state legislature and get them signed by the governor, it seems today like those things are further out of reach, much more difficult to do. Is that a function of dysfunction within the Republican Party, which controls all of the pieces that are at play in the legislative and the gubernatorial pieces in Lansing? Or is this just the way politics works? Sometimes it's easier than others. Things change, circumstances change, faces change inside the parties and inside the bodies. We want to talk now with two political reporters who watch this all pretty closely in Lansing. Rick Pluta is the state capitol bureau chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Zach Gorchow is the editor of Gongwer News Service in Lansing. Zach and Rick, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Yes. Good to hear your voices. Uh, you guys just heard that that first segment with uh, Jace Bolger, former Republican State House Speaker, and Clint Kesto, who is a Republican State Representative now from Commerce Township. I want to give you first an opportunity to react to what we heard from each of them. Zach, I will uh, start with you. I mean, it's about what I expected. You know, there was, the last thing I would have expected was to hear former Speaker Bolger uh, dump all over the, you know, the current leadership of, of the Michigan House. There's a number of people there he served with, and he's still close with, with folks there. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways he is right, though, that, you know, this isn't radically different than what we've seen in, in the term limits era where you have uh, a Michigan Senate that typically ha- is more experienced because most of them spent several years in the House before they got to the Senate, tend to be take a little bit more of a longer view. And then with each succeeding election, um, and as long as the Michigan House stays under Republican control, you have a House Michigan House Republican caucus that gets more conservative, uh, and it you create this sort of push-pull between a House that tends to be more conservative and is in a, you know, real rush to, to, you know, to try to, to move conservative things, and then a Senate that, you know, tends to align a little bit more with the governor. So this isn't, you know, a radical departure from the model we've seen over the past 18 years. Yeah, yeah uh, and I would, I, ahead, would, I would go back to, um, what, what year was the uh, bridge debate, Zach? 2011. 2011. 2011. And, and, you know, the whole, the, you know, the getting the legislature to approve, uh, Money for the uh, you know what is now going to be called the Gordy Howe Bridge uh-huh. uh, that just collapsed that the governor had to come up with a workaround for um, you know for that. I mean there were certainly protracted negotiations over. I would say that probably the grand bargain, the Detroit rescue, was kind of the pinnacle of um, you know deal making in Lansing, mm-hmm. and now we've sort of settled back into you know, that, that some things are just more difficult to move than others. I would also point out that Republicans don't just have majorities in the House and Senate, but they have large majorities, they commanding do. majorities. And uh, a large majority can be a lot more difficult to manage than a small one, because everyone has their own ideas, their own priorities, and what they think a party ought to do with a majority when it, when it has it. Yeah. Now, what one thing that has changed is from the beginning of the Snyder administration is that we are not, you know, Governor Snyder is not going to have to run for election again. But, right. m- you know, most of the Michigan House is eyeing future political office. There are still a number of members of the Michigan Senate eyeing future office, too. And, you know, when they all came in, you have to remember in 2010, you had a Democratic governor and a Democratic led House 
was still a Republican-controlled Senate. But Republicans took complete control of everything in that 2010 election. And so to succeed, they, they had to compromise. And they, you know, if Governor Snyder failed, if they decided to block the things he wanted, uh, it would have uh, really damaged the, the Republican brand in the state. So, you know, they needed to make sure that he was in a position to claim success and be reelected, and, and that would be good for their reelection bids as well. Um, but now he's gone, and everybody is kind of starting to run for, you know, the hills, so to speak, looking for, out for their own future. Um, you know, the Michigan House, you know, they're all eyeing getting elected again, which usually means... Uh, more likely than not, avoiding a, a primary challenge. Or, or know, looking to run for the Senate. Or, that or looking to of... run for the Senate. A lot of people think the Speaker of the House, Tom Leonard, is eyeing to run for Michigan Attorney General. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have all those kinds of things in play uh, that you know were not the case in Snyder's first four years. Yeah. I, I think one thing that's kind of interesting that we've seen in this particular session is that the governor and the uh, Republican majorities in the House and the Senate have... You know, made it a point of pride that the budget now gets done sometime in June, which means that instead of waiting, um, you know, until uh, September, and that's good news for public universities, local governments, school districts that have fiscal years that begin July 1st, that, that they say that that's actually responsible budgeting on, on the part of the state, and they have a powerful argument to make for it. Um, but this time around, when the House and Senate Republican leaders became really interested in an overhaul of the teacher pension system that they were willing to pay play chicken on that uh, on that deadline. Yeah, I, you know that was that was kind of an interesting development in, so, in this session. So one of the things that that and, and we can talk about this in specificity with the the the, the just recent argument over uh, teacher retirement plans, um, you know. One of the things that the governor said to me about this was that he went through a, a pretty thorough re-look at that system when he was new in the governor's office. Got a lot of things done, did some things that he didn't even have to let, ask the legislature to do to, to fix the current system. And his frustration this spring was that there was nobody left in Lansing who was part of that conversation. And so it's a whole new crop of people who have their own ideas and they're entitled to them and they're elected by voters who sent them there to do their bidding. But it's really difficult to sort of, you know, relitigate uh, those questions with people who don't have who don't have the history. Both Jace Bolger and Clint Kesto uh, referenced this this sort of churn in in the legislature as one of the as one of the problems. And I think that's a really vivid example of it. Oh sure, and that's that's one of the issues with uh, you know with term limits is that you know people who are coming in, especially on the House side, as Zach pointed out, um, almost everyone in the Senate um, served in the House before they got over there. There's only um, one senator, Patrick Kolbeck, who uh, who did not. Mm -hmm. uh, oh wait, no, I take three. that back. There's there's three now because of the Her election since Congress. then. Yeah, um, but but most of them still uh, you, know, you know did not. So there's that question of experience and yeah, memory and. One of the things that happens with term limits, and, and you can argue for good or for ill, is that, uh, yeah, new crop of people come in and things that once seemed to be settled get relitigated. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Rick Pluta, the Capitol Bureau Chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network. 
and Zach Gorcha, who's the editor for Gongwort News Service in Lansing. We're talking about Lansing, how things get done, how things maybe don't get done as easily in Lansing. Uh, what's the reason for that? And is this something that we should be concerned about? Or is this just sort of the cyclical nature of politics? Sometimes it's uh, it's easy to make, make big strides legislatively. Other times a little more difficult, and it doesn't actually happen. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work your comments into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Tom in Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yo, good morning, everyone. You know, me, myself, collectively, I think... I feel this one. You know, the will of the people be damned. Those people up there, they are so into petty partisan politics that, you know, we the people get lost in that. And, I mean, I'd just be so glad when we can go ahead and have some people come up there, hopefully, God, please let it happen, that can, you know, sit down and go up there and vote for what is for the best interest of we the people. Uh, Tom, thanks very much for the call and and that comment. I, I you hear that a lot from people. Uh, I think voters in the state. Let me ask you too about two issues that that uh, relate directly to it. One, the influence of lobbyists and their money. I asked Jace Bolger about that. He sort of downplayed it. Said no, that doesn't that doesn't really explain how things work in Lansing. The other being uh, redistricting, the way that we draw districts here in the state of Michigan. We allow politicians uh, to do that on their own and in a partisan manner. That makes it more difficult to get uh, candidates who may be more, more sensitive to arguments on both sides of the political aisle. We end up with pretty entrenched extremists. Uh, talk about how both of those work in Lansing and what the opportunity for change might be. Uh, Zach Korch, I'll start with you. Well, on the lobbyist piece, it really depends on the issue. I mean, ask the lobbyists in town how easy it was to get road funding passed. Right. You know, virtually every, seemingly every lobbyist, multi-client firms, association firms, were pushing very, very hard to get a substantial gas tax increase passed uh, at the end of uh, 2014. Uh, former Speaker Bolger can will re re recall that well. In fact, yeah. he's probably the main reason why that did not happen, uh -huh. um, because his caucus would not go along with uh, a substantial gas tax increase. Um, so in that case, uh, you know, Republican House Republicans would probably argue they were listening to at least uh, their their base. Uh, voters who was, uh, you know, ambivalent about a tax increase. But there are other issues where, uh, you know, lobbyists can be, you know, can be very powerful, where their expertise can hold sway, um, and issues can somehow, you know, seem to move at, at the drop of the hat uh, and, and surprise everybody. They tend to be a little bit more off the radar. It might be issues of alcohol, um, you know, I think there was the, you know, the issue involving uh, Tesla a few years ago that, I think surprised everybody. Um, you know, those are the times where you can tend to see uh, the, the work of a lobbyist because they've built a good relationship with a committee chair mm -hmm. uh, tends to become a factor. Yeah. And and I, I think as a as a practical matter, um, I, I, it, it's dangerous to paint this with too broad a 
brush, and having thrown that caveat out, I'm now going to do exactly that, um, that uh, multi-client lobbyists, ones that have a, a, a multitude of clients that they represent, um, tend to prefer kind of a center-right legislature that... Uh, you know, is is maybe looking to you know cut taxes and, and businesses and whatnot, but also is ready to deal on things like you know road funding or a new you know bridge in Detroit, as opposed to being you know locked into more of an a, a philosophical objection to uh, tax increases or money for infrastructure things like that. Yeah, and on on the redistricting piece. There is some merit to the idea that, 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 you know, with the constant churn and the way the districts are drawn, <clears throat> that you're electing legislators at, at polar opposite ends. But I would also say that the nation overall has become so much more polarized. I mean, you know, during the previous decade, there, there were Democratic legislators who were, who were winning middle-of-the-road districts who were far more liberal than I ever thought could win a district like that. I mean, I think about a district in suburban Muskegon where they always said, there is no way a Democrat can win that seat unless they, are, unless they oppose abortion. Well, there was a Democrat who was a very strong supporter of abortion rights who won that district because of things like uh, the 2006 Democratic wave. And so you look at the last decade, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2016 elections, I don't believe that uh, a big change in the in the in the maps would change what we have in the legislature, where you had a Republican sweep in 2010, a Republican sweep in 2014, and Donald Trump carrying this state. If you subtract Wayne and Oakland counties by 10 points, would have changed the prevailing political dy dynamic in the capital. Now it's now partisan drawing of, of district lines certainly does you know, play a role in, 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 in the margins. But I think if it was put into a new system where, you know, for example, you know, computers uh, uh, drew the lines as opposed to people, that you would not see as dramatic a change in the result as some people seem to think would happen. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing on the, on the deal-making, I, I just happened to have this on my desk in front of me, but there are a couple of researchers out of the University of Maryland who've um, looked at this, and they say that the secret to, and, and Michigan is part of this study, it finds actually that Michigan's legislature is even more polarized than Congress, but they say that the key to bipartisanship is having one party with a locked-in majority. Um, because the way that the system is set up right now is the minority party in particular has a stake in denying the majority party the, sure. the, 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 the patina of bipartisanship. You and I have talked about this before, Stephen, um, because control of the institution is always in play, which means that the competition becomes more fierce and bipartisanship becomes less likely. And they looked at Congress... Um, the post-World War II Congress when it seemed to be almost permanently in con under the control of the Democrats, and you had Republicans who, if they wanted anything, they had to work with the majority, and it was in their interest to do that because that was the only way they were going to get anything for their districts, and control was not at stake. Democrats were willing to work with the minority because that gave them um, um, the, 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 the claim of behaving in a bipartisan fashion in leadership. Yes. If you want to look at the reason, you know, this polarization, what you mentioned, like sort of extreme ends of the spectrum mm -hmm. getting elected, 
I really think the bigger factor than redistricting is our current setup where we have, you know, primary elections tend to determine the vast majority of people who actually get yeah. elected. Mm -hmm. So there's 110 seats in the House, 38 in the Senate. A small fraction of those are actually competitive in November. Even if you change the maps, it wouldn't change the overall number of competitive districts that much. But what you have happen is when you have an open seat in the term limits environment, so the incumbent no longer can run again, you often get in these safe Democratic or safe Republican seats six, right. eight, 10, 12 candidates running. So what happens is all it takes to win is 18 to 25% of the vote. And typically, whoever can move farthest to the right or farthest to the left or line up the most key interest groups of that party tends to get elected. So you're, you're getting people elected who've only won maybe a fifth of the, the primary vote, which is very small. And then because of the safe nature of the district, uh, they tend to you know, win in November. So you're, you're getting people from the far ends coming out of these primaries. And, and that's you know, I think probably the bigger factor, the than, factor than the yeah. districts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rick Pluta, State Capitol Bureau Chief for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and Zach Gorchaw, editor of Gongwar News Service in Lansing. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. A pleasure. Thanks, Stephen. All right. Up next, we're going to hear from the Democratic side of the aisle. What do they have to say about Republican gridlock in Lansing? We'll hear from a Democratic lawmaker next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We've been talking all hour about Lansing, about how we get things done in Lansing, how we don't get things done in Lansing. It seems, if you look at the past eight years, for instance, like we've sort of hit a bunch of roadblocks. It used to be possible to get major legislation across the finish line in Lansing, even when it was controversial. Right now, even with a Republican majority, in both houses and a Republican in the governor's office, major legislation stalls out more often than it used to. Why is that true and what could we do about it? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work your comments into the conversation. And joining me now to Give us the perspective from the Democratic side of the aisle is Tim Grimal. He is the Democratic state representative from Auburn Hills, a former state House Democratic leader. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Yeah. It's yeah. good to be with you. Do you agree with that observation that I'm that I'm making that uh, it used to be easier to get things done, even on a bipartisan basis uh, in Lansing when Republicans still had complete control? Think of the Medicaid expansion. You think of the Detroit bankruptcy. Uh, those things happened. It, it's really hard for me to see how they would happen today. I'm, I'm wondering how you see it. Well, I think that's exactly right. Uh, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, certainly one big reason for that is that uh, Republicans in the legislature and, and, in fact, Republicans across the country have become increasingly right wing. Uh, and that has put Republicans in the legislature at odds with Governor Snyder on a number of issues. Uh, there are a number of other factors as well. Uh, certainly uh, the fact that we have a relatively new 
speaker who does not have the experience of, say, a Jace Bolger. Uh, but I think most fundamentally is the fact that ideology has driven Republicans further and further to the right wing. And uh, the reality is that we probably have the most right wing legislature in the history of our state right now. And would you say that that's happening exclusive of the same thing happening on the left side of the aisle? I mean, a lot of Republicans would say Democrats are just as as extreme. Now, that doesn't matter as much in this state because Democrats don't have control of anything. But is that only happening on the right side? Well, I, I do think that we've seen increased polarization in both parties, frankly. Uh, and I think that's a big problem. Uh, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I think we see polarized political discourse on talk radio, on Internet blogs and cable uh, television uh, news shows. Uh, I think another big factor is gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gerrymandering makes uh, elected officials pander to the far right wing in a Republican primary or the left wing in a Democratic primary. And we're losing a lot of centrist uh, discussion and discourse as a result of that. So it is a problem in both parties. I think it's an even bigger problem in the Republican Party. We still have a lot of centrist Democrats in the legislature who want to work in a bipartisan way to get things done. We saw that recently with Democrats working with Governor Snyder, uh, working with more moderate Republicans to support the Good Jobs for Michigan package. Uh, We've seen it in the past when uh, Democrats under my leadership worked in a bipartisan way to get Medicaid expansion uh, done, worked in a bipartisan way to provide financial support to the city of Detroit while it was going through bankruptcy. So I do think that we have uh, a good number still of pragmatic, centrist Democrats who want to work together to solve problems. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones to join the conversation. I'm talking with Representative Tim Grimel, Democratic state rep from Auburn Hills, former state house Democratic leader. We're talking about Lansing, how things get done, how they don't get done. Uh, are things changing? Have things changed in a way that makes it more difficult to get things done, major things done? In Lansing again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine on the phones. Uh, Tim, I want to ask you about outside influences in Lansing. I asked Jace Bulger, the former speaker, about that earlier. He seemed to downplay it a little and say, "Well, yeah, there are lobbyists, but uh, they're lobbyists on both sides, and lobbyists lose in Lansing as often as lobbyists win." I said, "Well, it seems sometimes like." Mm-hmm. The difference in that equation is money. Yeah. Uh, the, the the people with more money end up with with more influence. He he pushed back against that. How, how do you see that? Well, what what uh, Jay said is technically true. That on any one issue, you're likely to have lobbyists on both sides, and obviously, then you've got lobbyists losing on every issue, and you have lobbyists winning on every issue. Uh, the important point is exactly the one that you made, which is that that's true, but the Interest groups that lose more often than not are those that don't have a lot of money, don't make a lot of campaign contributions, represent everyday people. And the people uh, and interest groups who tend to win are those who have a lot of political contributions to spread around and who represent wealthy, well-connected corporate interests. Uh, And that is all driven by the unfortunate influence of money in politics. It's an enormous problem. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, the Democratic Party and the Democratic presence in Lansing. I I grew up here in in Michigan and Detroit. I can't remember a time when it seems 
like Democrats had less power over a longer period of time than we've seen recently. I, I want you to speak to why you think that's true and what you think Democrats need to do to get back in the good graces of, of voters. Is there a way to reassert that side of the aisle? Yeah. Well, I think what you're saying is right, uh, first of all, uh, or correct, which is that uh, Democrats are at low tide here in Michigan um, compared to the past several decades. Uh, and I think all that really can be traced back to the 2010 election. Um, I think the Tea Party wave election. That's there. right. Tea Party wave election and low Democratic turnout in mm -hmm. that election as well. And uh, I think the, the one thing that Democrats have to do is whenever they do have influence and power, they need to deliver. And I think there were enormous expectations for President Obama and large Democratic majorities in Congress to deliver in the first two years of President Obama's uh, presidency. And I think there were, was a lot of disappointment that they didn't deliver more. Mm -hmm. I, I think that was reflected in the 2010 election outcome. And yeah. then, of course, what came right after 2010 was redistricting. Right. And so you had Republicans who had new majorities in the state legislature who controlled redistricting. Uh, and that has made it very difficult for Democrats to make inroads into the legislature. And so what's the message going forward that helps voters put more Democrats uh, in office to, to swing things back the other way? Well, I think the the basic difference between the two parties is that Democrats are on the side of everyday people, on the side of uh, everyday Joes and Janes. We know that the most important thing we can do is create jobs, create good-paying jobs, and invest in education that's necessary to create jobs. And, and, I, and I think intellectually, most people would agree with you. I think from a practical standpoint, you see ordinary people in those situations where they need opportunity, where they need help, voting for Republicans. Look at President Trump, the number of people he carried who would seem to fit more naturally with the Democratic Party. What's the disconnect? Well, I think there are a couple of dynamics there. Again, I think one of them is that people were disenchanted that Democrats, when we had control at the federal level in 2009 and 2010, didn't deliver more for everyday people. So I think that's a, a major, major factor yeah. here. I also think that that corporate interests and, and the Republican Party have been very clever in using wedge social issues to try to get people to vote against their own economic self-interest. Uh, and as a result, you see a lot of low-income social conservatives who vote Republican, even though it's not good for them economically, but they may agree with the Republican Party when it comes to uh, LGBT issues mm -hmm. or when it comes to abortion or when it comes to guns. Uh, and so I think that's another major factor here. Yeah. Okay. Tim Grimal, Democratic State Representative from Auburn Hills, former State House Democratic leader. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. Everyone, go downtown tonight and enjoy the fireworks, one of the best nights along the Detroit riverfront. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. The program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our associate producers are Aaron Allen, Annie Wallace, Gus Navarro, and Rhea Basha. And the Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 101.9 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.